Okay, well, good morning, everybody. Um, so my name is Ziggy, and hello. So Christ is risen. It is absolutely wonderful to be with you here um, today. I love your building. It's so traditional. I, I think I saw a building like this in the Ulster American Folk Park. So I'm, I'm loving, I'm loving it. It's beautiful. I love the clock. It's, it's fantastic. So I'm Ziggy. I'm Jewish, and I believe in Jesus, and uh, I work for an organization called Jews for Jesus. And hopefully by our time together, you'll know so much more about me and what we do as an organization. But I need to ask you a question first. Where do you think I'm from? There's some England over here. Any other potential answers? Be bold. I know what the word bold means in Ireland. So, North London. No, I'm actually from Russia. That's interesting. Who thinks I'm from Israel? One person. No, but I, okay. I've been on holiday there, um, but I was actually born in the Holy Land, which is Essex. But no, I'm joking. Everyone knows that the Holy Land is actually Belfast. So, uh, it's always good. Somebody once, I think I spoke in one church once in Northern Ireland, and uh, a guy came up to the minister at the end and says, uh, he, said, he said, that guy speaks really good English. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason for that. So I work, I work with Jews for Jesus. I've worked with them for about uh, seven years now. And fundamentally what we do is we, we share the gospel with all people, but especially Jewish people, and uh, we believe our work really begins when we open the pages of the Bible and uh, we teach them Jesus. Um, the book I especially love reading with Jewish people is John's Gospel, because it's a gospel that really focuses on the death of Jesus. Um, it's through him that we can have eternal life, through his death on the cross. And the one who is life, who gave his life, so that we can have life. And so of all days today, we know that the cross works because Jesus indeed rose from the dead. And this is wonderful news for everyone here. So I'm going to start with my story. Now, when I was about 16 years old, my parents had weren't at home. And before I knew it, some very strange Dutch women had turned up at my front door, the parents, my the front door of the house. They'd seen the little wooden box called a mezuzah. Do you know what a mezuzah is? Yeah, it's a little box that Jewish people have on their doors. It's a very unusual thing. People often mistake it for a doorbell, but it's, <laughs> it's a funny little thing they have on their doors. And it's got a little bit of the law in. So the, and, uh, these, Jew these, these uh, Dutch women had... I found, they said, are your parents in? And I said, no. But before I knew it, I found myself holding um, the New Testament in, written in Hebrew and English. And before I knew it, the door was, was gone. The door was, door was still there. They were gone. The door was still there. And I remember thinking how outrageous it was that these women had tried to palm off the New Testament as if it was a Jewish book by having it in Hebrew and English. And I remember being so outraged that I threw the book across the room. Years later, of course, I discovered that, in fact, the New Testament 
is a Jewish book, and we'll come to that. Um, both of my, I come from a Jewish family, both of my parents are Jewish, and we grew up keeping the dietary requirements of the law. Do you know what the word is for that? Keeping kosher. And after regular school, we used to go to special classes where we called Hebrew classes, where we learned a little bit of Hebrew, but, but where we learned a lot about Jewish traditions. And ultimately, where I trained to have my bar mitzvah. Do you know what a bar mitzvah is? You're a talkative bunch, aren't you? <laughs> I, I was warned. I mean, the, the kids' work wasn't, that was remarkable, wasn't it? <laughs> Make me feel like I'm all alone up here. Yeah, so I, uh, that's a coming-of-age ceremony when, as a wee 13-year-old boy, I suddenly became a man. Now, if you'd ever seen, if you saw me when I was 13 years old, you, you, you'd be pretty sure I didn't look like a man. Um, when do people become men in Kalinchi? <laughs> the question, uh, the jury's still out on that one, right? I went on to have my bar mitzvah in Israel at the Western Wall. My name is actually short for Zygmunt. What do you think of my name? It's a great, did you say it's a great name? Someone said that, that's great, that's great. Um, almost nobody calls me Zygmunt, it's just too strange. Um, but I'm actually named after a victim of the Holocaust. I'm named after my grandmother's father, who died in the Holocaust with his whole family and pretty much everyone in his town. Um, that, so they came from Slovakia. Now the only person who really survived from that town was my grandmother. So in 1939, the family got the, what would be a considerable sum of money together to get the illegal paperwork. And uh, they sent their daughter. She was 26 years at the, at the time, and she came to live in England. She left everything she knew behind, and she came to a foreign country of a foreign tongue, and uh, she settled working in England as a domestic servant. And one particular morning, it came time for her to cook bacon for the family. And if you know anything about Jewish people, you know we don't do the bacon. Well, my grandmother said, look, she said, I'm sorry, I'm Jewish and I can't cook your bacon. And the family responded by saying they would make every single effort to have her deported. And she ran away from that home that very night. But that's not how my grandmother told the story. She, she said that a Christian family had wanted to deport her. From my grandmother's very narrow perspective, either you were Jewish or Christian, this family clearly wasn't Jewish on account of the bacon, and when they wanted to deport her, it only proved every suspicion she ever knew, um, that these really were Christian people. Mm. But we can't blame her in some sense, because she did have a very narrow perspective. She grew up in a town in Slovakia where the only people you would meet would be the Jewish minority, and the Catholic majority. And so it was very natural for, that, for them, in her mind, to be a them and an us mentality. So when they wanted to deport her, it only confirmed every suspicion she knew about those people. So as, as I was growing up, you should it should come as no surprise that my parents never had a kind word to say about Jesus or Christianity. And I even grew up thinking that somehow Christians were responsible for the Holocaust, which is remarkable. At school, I discovered that there were people called Christians, but, uh, and they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but it only served to remind me as a wee boy that uh, Jesus wasn't the Messiah and that we were still waiting for him. Um, I had a very good friend at university, um, 
He wasn't Jewish, and he wasn't Christian either, so I thought he'd be safe. Um, we used to discuss and agree that God was unknowable. Unless God revealed himself to us, we would be in the dark, and, and we actually were very ignorant of the things of God. But some years later, my friend became a Christian. Now, at first, we thought this was the most, this was tragic, because we thought our friend, he had so much potential, such capacity for life, and now he goes and becomes a Christian. Um, but he did something that would change my life forever, because he asked all of his friends to come to his church to hear, basically, to learn about Jesus. And of all of his friends, I was the only one that came along. But it can also be said, he took a very bold step by inviting me. I know the word bold here doesn't mean what it means in England, but he took a bold step. Because he knows, if you know anything about Jewish people, when it comes to Jesus, we can be a little bit volatile. Um, I've calmed down over the years, as you can see. But he took a bold step and he invited me along, and I ended up going along and doing a short course called Christianity Explored, which is like Jesus explained we went through one of the eyewitness accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And I'm reading it, and I'm discovering a Jesus I could never have imagined. I'm looking at a Jesus that can heal the sick, he can raise the dead, he can calm a storm with a word. And I'm thinking, maybe Jesus could be the Messiah that we were taught about in the synagogue as we children. But then I thought, how can Jesus possibly be the Messiah when the rabbis have been rejecting Jesus for the last 2,000 years? But about this time, someone gave me a book that basically asked this question. How familiar are you with the prophecies in the Hebrew Bible about the coming of the Messiah? And between you and me, I pretty, pretty much knew nothing. But you won't tell anyone else, will you? Like, thank you. If I find out, I will know it's this church. I started to read my Hebrew Bible, and I began to pour through the many prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. And as I did so, I came to realize that Jesus hadn't just come to heal the sick and raise the dead. He'd come to forgive sins, that the Son of God had come from heaven to earth to die for my sins, taking the punishment that I deserved, and that I was forgiven, not because of anything I had done, but because of what he had done. In my very first week as a believer, I was overwhelmed with two strong emotions. One was joy, and the other was fear. Joy because I'd found a great treasure. Jesus is the Messiah. But the other emotion was fear, because for the very first moment in my life, I realized that I had never honored God as my King, Creator, and Sovereign Lord, that I'd never done that. I'd only ever lived for myself with no regard to God whatsoever. I, I did become quite overwhelmed um, with many of the things I'd done before that never bothered me, but they began to bother me then. But the thing that bothered me most was my attitude, my independent attitude, what the Bible would call sin. And that's when the penny dropped, as I realized what God had done. God had sent his son into the world to die, taking the paying the penalty for the sin that I could never pay and I realized I was forgiven because of what Jesus had done 
And so the question is, how familiar are you with the prophecies in the Hebrew Bible about the coming of the Messiah? Jews for Jesus. When you, when you first heard the name of Jews for Jesus, how many, before today, how many have you heard of the name Jews for Jesus? Just a few hands. So the rest of you've thought, because I know this has been announced over the last couple of weeks, the rest of you thought, this poor chap's coming from Jews for Jesus, and he must be so desperately confused. Jews for Jesus. That makes as much sense as vegetarians for meat. And as you can see, hopefully you can see, I'm not that confused. I think the thing to focus upon is that Jesus is a Jewish king. Um, but Jesus really is remarkable in this one regard. He's the only Jewish man, and he had to be Jewish, uh, he's the only Jewish man who ever fulfilled the Jewish prophecies from the Jewish Bible about the coming of the Jewish Messiah. That makes him the Jewish Messiah. He is God's king. We discovered when we were reading through the Hebrew Bible, didn't immediately dawn us that God was sending his son. But when he came, we understood it made complete sense. God himself had come to earth. The son of God died on a cross for us. We would say that the most Jewish thing that you can do, that, that anyone can do, is to believe in, in Jesus. And we would say that there is nothing more Jewish than believing in the Jewish king. So if you believe in Jesus, you're doing a Jewish thing. We might say in the negative, if, if we call him Yeshua in Hebrew, Yeshua or Jesus, if Jesus is not the Messiah of the Jews, then, he's not the, then he isn't the Messiah of anyone. When you talk about this, uh, when you talk about this meeting in the many um, months and years to come, it's kind of a joke, but I do want you to do that. Please don't say you heard from a Jewish guy who converted to Christianity. I'm going to suggest that you say you heard from a Jewish believer in Jesus. When you write to your relatives in Australia um, this afternoon um, about how thrilled you were with this morning's message, please don't say you heard from a Jewish convert to Christianity, but a, a Jewish believer in Jesus. And finally, when you speak to your many friends, um, because everyone knows everyone else in Ireland, of course. There's 4.8 million and 1.8 here, but you still know each other's names, I know that. When you speak to each other this afternoon, you are community. I've, I've been reinforced many times. Please don't say you heard from this wee little Jewish guy who was Jewish and is now a Christian. Simply, uh, we heard from a Jewish believer in Jesus. Now, we are Jews for Jesus because, you see, we are for Jesus. And if you are for Jesus, that makes you a Christian. If you aren't excited about Jesus, then you're probably not a Christian. See, no one is born a Christian, but we were born Jewish. We were born into Jewish families. And so we think to speak of being Jewish is to speak of your people group and not your faith. Remember the golden calf. Not our finest hour. Or Elijah at Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. They're all Jewish there. Everyone's Jewish in that story. You see, what people group you belong to is no indicator of what you believe. 
It's a spectrum. And on that spectrum, there will be some who believe and many who don't. And the point is that we are Jews for, because we, we didn't stop being Jewish. We're still Jewish. Um, the first Christians were all Jewish people, and they didn't stop being Jewish when they believed in Jesus. And today, Jewish people can believe in almost anything, and they do. Um, they can be into the New Age with their crystals, they can, be in, they can be Buddhists, they can be atheists. But the one thing they will be adamant about and be sure about is that they are still Jewish. It's a strange phenomenon, <laughs> I give you that. Um, but the one thing we're told is that you can't believe in Jesus. So I grew up believing that Jews don't believe in Jesus. Or that you cease to be Jewish if you believe in Jesus. And so that's why we're called Jews for Jesus, because we are Jews who do believe in Jesus. Some Jews are atheists, some abide in religious practices, some are Buddhists even, but we are Jews for Jesus. Jewish people, on the whole, don't know anything about Jesus. And yet Jews, they need Jesus. The Jews need Jesus. The Jewish people are known as the chosen people, his treasured possession. But they were not chosen for salvation. But service, they were not chosen because they were great. No, they were chosen because they were the least. Um, why? Why were they chosen? They were chosen because of a promise that God made to one man, Abraham. He said to Abraham, your descendants will be like the stars of the sky. Thousands of years later, Jesus the Messiah. He said, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. There really is only one path of salvation. It really is Jesus. It only ever was Jesus. I think of the apostle Peter standing before the Sanhedrin. We have one man, the apostle Peter, one Jewish man, stand, standing before many religious Jewish men of his day. And he's saying to these religious Jewish men, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved. Or think of the other very famous Jewish man, the Apostle Paul. We, and we, in, uh, in Romans chapter 10, we learn of Paul's heart for his people and how he wishes he were in Romans 9 it says how he <coughs> he wishes he were <coughs> that he were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of his brothers his kinsmen according to the flesh he said in Romans 10 brothers it's my heart's desire and prayer to God for them that they may be saved and it's worth just saying as an afterthought Judaism or rabbinic Judaism is, as it really is it may be a beautiful religion, but it cannot change the human heart. The gospel is, is Jewish, which is very helpful when you speak to Jewish people, because in your mind, you're just giving them something that should naturally, 
naturally belong to them. When you think of the names of the people in the New Testament, you think of names like Matthew and James and John. And we might naturally assume that these are Irishmen. And of course, Paddy. No, no, he, he wasn't one of the apostles. But their names are Matiyahu, Yohanan, Yaakov. These are Jewish men. The apostles are Jewish men. Think of the places when you read your Bible, the New Testament, places like Jerusalem, Galilee, Caesarea, and Cana. These places are in the land of Israel. When we think of the calendar, when we read our New Testament, we discover the Sabbath, we discover the Passover, we discover Pentecost. You know that Pentecost is a Jewish festival, right? We think of tabernacles. Jesus is in the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles. And even in Acts, in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul speaks of this, uh, the celebration of first fruits immediately after Passover. And he speaks about how Jesus was the firstborn, the first fruits from the dead. It's a Jewish calendar. When you think of the literature, the New Testament was written by Jewish people, all with the exception of Luke. But he was a doctor, so you never know. The Old and New Testament, of course, is one story. Whether you're reading Luke chapter 2 or John chapter 1, we discover that the story of Israel continues. It didn't stop with the last book of the Old Testament. It continues into the New Testament. There was a real expectation that the Messiah was going to come. John 1 drives home that point. There was a Jewish expectation, and it was met when Jesus arrived. They called him, John the Baptist called him the son of God. That means it's a Jewish phrase. Jesus is the son of man. He's the king of Israel. He's called the prophet like Moses. He's called the Messiah. He's called the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. These are just Jewish phrases. The message of the gospel is very Jewish, but actually it's a very deeply unpopular message. Mark's gospel drives home this message. It's about repentance. Repent, turn away from your sin, and believe. And at Pentecost, we discover there were 3,000 Jewish men in Jerusalem. Now, when they heard this, this message of repentance, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is a Jewish message. I mean, we've thought about it. It's a Jewish story. It's a Jewish message. But more than that, the gospel, Jesus dying on the cross, it's, a, it's Jewish theology. What have we done? Well, we have sinned against God. What has God done? God sent his son into the world, Jesus the Messiah, to die taking the punishment for our sins. The penalty has been paid in his death. 700 years before Jesus came, Isaiah, the Jewish prophet, during the, during the days of Hezekiah, he wrote that God's righteous servant accounts us righteous and bears our iniquities. God's righteous servant accounts us righteous 
and bears our iniquities. There's the gospel. Isaiah 53. Now, the name Jews for Jesus, it presents cognitive dissonance. Um, two ideas, two things that, go, that shouldn't really go together. Um, but our name combats the implicit social contract that all Jewish people know from birth, that Jews don't believe in Jesus. But in the beginning, it was the other way around. In the beginning, all of the believers in Jesus were Jewish. In fact, we have um, our head office in San Francisco has a plaque on the wall that says, Jews for Jesus established 32 AD, give or take a year. It's a joke. I invite you to laugh. It's, it may be a poor joke, but I still invite you to laugh. The first church, the church began, and it was Jewish. But today, most of the people who believe in Jesus are not Jewish. As we discovered, they're the French, the Albanians, they're the, the Brazilians. What's the, so what happened? Well, the, the, the kind of the story is, the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts, the gospel is still pretty much with Jewish people. In Acts chapter 10, we discover there's a, a Gentile called Cornelius. Do you know where Cornelius was from? From Caesarea. Of course, you know that. Come on, keep up. The Apostle Peter had the vision that the blanket was let down with the different animals, and he ended up meeting these guys and going along to Cornelius' house. Peter had never been inside a Gentile's house before. He didn't have any Gentile friends. When he turns up before Cornelius, Cornelius has got all of his family and friends nearby waiting. And they, they say to Peter, we know that you've got a message from God. And Peter's scratching his head thinking, I, I can't think of any message. And then he realized what the, the vision was all about. Not to consider nothing uncommon and unclean. And then he realized that the gospel wasn't just for Jewish people. It was for the nations. It would begin to move, and it would go to the Gentiles as well. In Acts 11, verse 19, the gospel is going to Antioch. And, and if you read Antioch, can we have it on the screen? Is that possible? Quickly, Acts eleven nineteen. How quickly can they do it? Nothing. Acts, Acts 11, 19. Oh, almost. It's, I didn't give them any notice of this. It's really naughty of me. Nothing? We're not going to have it? No? Yes? No? No, it's fine. Acts eleven nineteen. The gospel is, is in Antioch, and all of the people are sharing the gospel. The, the, after the, the, the death of Stephen, the Jewish people, they have left Israel. The apostles are left behind. And they are sharing the gospel. When they go to these places like Phoenicia and Antioch, they're sharing the gospel only with Jewish people because they think the gospel is only for Jewish people. But then some of them sneakily started to share it with the Gentiles. And then the Gentiles started to believe in Jesus. And of course, they called up some of the people. I think probably Peter came up to have a look at these people to find out if they were okay. What was going on? 
And they decided actually the Holy Spirit was coming to the Gentiles too. These people could believe in Jesus as well. But it meant that there was going to become a, a collision. Something was going to, it was going to lead to a, a confrontation. Because at some point there were Jewish people who began to say, it's not enough to believe, it's not enough to believe in the gospel. You have to be Jewish as well. And if you're a man, there is a way we can make you Jewish, apparently, with a very sharp knife. <laughs> Some Jews were insisting that the Gentiles needed to become Jewish first. And you can think this is really problematic. Um, they were sincerely scratching their heads and thinking, Gentiles for Jesus? That doesn't make any sense. How does that work? Well, it doesn't, or so they thought. They thought just believing in Jesus was far too simple. And besides, what does it say about our rituals and our regulations, our religious ceremony and our religious days? The matter was so pressing that the leaders of the Jews for Jesus, they met in Jerusalem. It's recorded in Acts 15, which we had read. And they, they meet to discuss the most pressing issue of the day. What are we going to do with the Gentiles for Jesus? When it soon became clear that the gospel itself was at stake. Can it be that you must do nothing other than believe in Jesus to be saved? Well, apparently, yes. To add anything to the gospel is a disaster. It's like adding floor upon floor on your house. And then one day, it all comes crashing down. Today, maybe in our churches, maybe we, we add a little tradition here or there, and we insist it must be added. We do things, and we think, well, that's God expects me to do those things. And we end up thinking we're earning salvation by what we do. But it isn't what we do. It's what Jesus has done. The gospel arithmetic, <clears throat> I got a PhD in mathematics, so I know a little bit about this. Gospel arithmetic says that gospel plus equals gospel minus. To add anything to the gospel is to empty of it of its power, making it null and void. There is no... Jesus plus, it's just Jesus. It's equivalent. I mean, adding floor upon floor is no different in a sense. In a sense, what you're fundamentally doing to the gospel is removing the foundations from your house. And in the same way, your house will fall down. To add anything to the gospel is equivalent to gospel minus. Peter, the Jewish man Peter, he declared that we believe that we will, that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. The gospel is a message of grace. It's a free gift. It's not earned and it's certainly not deserved. And even your thank you doesn't contribute towards your salvation. Jesus alone saves. Only Jesus saves. And how? Well, the eternal Son of God came from heaven to earth to come into this world, to live a miserable life, to die on the cross, for the sins of you and me, taking the punishment that we deserved. And the surest way of knowing that we belong to Jesus today is that we are listening to him. 
as we open our Bibles, we're listening to what God is saying to us. That day in Acts 15 in, in Jerusalem, the Gentiles for Jesus was declared kosher. And the Gentiles rejoiced. But as one century overtook another, the Gentiles began to dominate the church and soon no one could remember Jews for Jesus. But now we're back. Today, why don't Jewish people believe? Well, if you read John's Gospel, which is the Gospel I read with people, we discover that people, mankind, loves the glory. We think we love what other people think of us. And actually, that's one of our problems. We often think too much of ourselves. We don't think about God enough. We don't put him first above everything else. But Jewish people today, the reason they don't believe in Jesus is because of two things, really. One is persecution and one is prejudice. Persecution, well, the Jews, sadly, have been blamed for killing Jesus, which is kind of ridiculous if you read the New Testament because Jesus said he laid down his life for us. Jesus said, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my father. But it, it means that the prejudice has now been, prejudice has now been added to the, to the persecution. And to, to prejudice is to prejudge. Um, that them and us divide that we spoke of before, it's not for us. It means that Jewish people, they're not listening. It, we may say they don't want to hear it. But at Jews for Jesus, we go. We must go, otherwise they won't be able to come to the Lord. At Jews for Jesus, we, we bring the gospel home to Jewish people. Um, Jesus is their Messiah too, and they need to come to him. And we say we exist to make the Messiahship of Jesus an unavoidable issue to our Jewish people worldwide. We started with one branch in 1973, in San Francisco. Today, there are 26 branches around the world. Um, places like London. And you need to go, ooh. But also got a branch in, in Paris. Ooh. And Berlin. Mm. Budapest. Hmm. We have four branches in the Ukraine. We have a branch in Moscow. We have a largest branch in Tel Aviv. Ooh. Uh, in Israel. You should go to, to, to Tel Aviv on holiday. It's a wonderful location. Um, and we have many other branches around the world, and they are all dedicated to, to direct evangelism, to bring in the gospel to Jewish people. And as I said, most of the work we do, we do evangelism. We're visible. We're public. We're also vulnerable. We're out there. People know we're Jews for Jesus. So I introduce you to the number 1973, which is when we began in America. And 26, do you like numbers? 26 branches of Jews for Jesus. But there's another number, it's the number one. Because today, still, after so many years of work, less than 1% of Jewish people have any idea who Jesus is. That's more than 99% of Jewish people who, who don't have a clue about Jesus at all. 
which is why it's so thrilling for me to be here with you today, because I can encourage you to pray for the work of Jews for Jesus. You can pray that as we, you can pray that we meet Jewish people. We can pray that God soften, softens hardened hearts. So He opens blind eyes. You may not be with me on the streets or when I'm doing a Bible study with someone, and yet at the same time, you can be with me. You can be praying for the work. And I would love to, to now invite you to a very ancient Jews for Jesus tradition. We have a prayer letter that we send out every month. It's completely free. But the tradition begins with the little flyer. If you can pick up the flyer for me, if you've got one near you, I just need you to lift it up into the air. Very, this, very, this is a thrilling part. You're going to, you'll remember this. This is what you're going to write to your, your family in Australia about in a couple of minutes. If you can just lift it up in the air for me. And that means everyone at the back as well, because I can see the people at the back. You've got to lift it really high up. If you can lift it really high up. We are videoing this. We can see who's not holding it up. <laughs> what I need you to do, the tradition is this. On the count of three, we tear off the involvement section in unison. <laughs> On the count of three. Are you ready? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Unless you've been very creative, you only have two pieces of paper. If you want, we can send you by post or by email. But if you want the, the newsletter by email, please just write in clear blocked capital letters. It's not that I don't believe you can do joined up handwriting, it's just that I can't read joined up handwriting. And I would love you to stand with us in this work. With the other piece, I can ask you to pop two names on here. I mean, get your pen out and start filling it out. Um, it's worth me saying this, that there are little boxes on here for you to tick. There's a gift aid box if that's, if that's what you'd like to do. And today there'll be an offering taken for Jews for Jesus after your first offering for the church, which obviously is where you should obviously be supporting your church clearly. Um, that's your priority. But I think anything over and above, then think about um, supporting us today. Um, but you might be thinking about supporting us and standing with us every single month. And if that's you, then come to me. I've got a little piece of paper that I can give you that will be really helpful. Um, the two names I'm thinking of are Leon and Zvi. Can you say Zvi? Zvi, it's Hebrew for dear. Leon is a 19-year-old Jewish guy that I'm reading John's Gospel with. Um, and the prayer for him, and I'd love you to pray, that this isn't an intellectual exercise, that God is changing his heart and that he will come to a place of repentance. But Zvi is uh, an Orthodox guy. I've never met him, but I speak to him on the phone. And we've looked through 16 of the most wonderful chapters in Isaiah, chapter 40 to 55. And there we discover there are two kinds of servant, one who is blind, one who is deaf, and is far from righteousness. Another servant who gives sight to the blind, who, who listens to God, is one who is taught, and a servant who is righteous. And as I was reading this with my guy V, he put the phone down. And I had my suspicions, and when he called me back, he confessed it's because he understood that Israel had sinned against God. We looked at Isaiah 49, and there I, just, I said, look, it's too small a thing that the Messiah would come just for Israel. He'd come for the nations as well. And the phone went dead. And he called back, and um, it's because he realized that, that God was interested in the whole world and not just the Gentiles. 
And when we looked at uh, the two signs, the Sabbath signs in John 5 and John 9, the, the man had been paralyzed for 38 years, the, the man had been born blind, Jesus willfully commits, performs these signs on the Sabbath. And again, the phone went dead. And when he called back, he said, look, I think, I think anyone can perform signs. That doesn't mean Jesus is the Messiah. Um, I mean, he said even Pharaoh's magicians performed signs. But uh, let's pray for Zvi that he calls back and we begin to, we begin, he begins to see that when Jesus did those sensational signs, it's because he is the Lord, that only he has the power, that creative power, the one who created all things, to make someone who has been born blind, never has it been heard ever of a man born blind gaining sight. And it says in John 7.31, when the Christ comes, will he perform more signs than this man? And of course, the greatest sign that Jesus did was rising from the dead. It means he has all authority. I've got some books for you. A book you might want to get that looks at the prophecies in the Hebrew Bible. Um, a lovely little book that takes you through the prophecies in the Bible. I've got some lovely little books about Jesus in the Feast of Israel. I've got one here. It's called Tabernacles and Passover. Um, Ten pounds for the pair. Normally they're a hundred pounds each, so it's a bargain. And these two DVDs, one is about Holocaust survivors and how they came to believe in Jesus, and the other one is about Palestinian and Israelis and how they have come together in the Messiah Jesus, and that is what we call a forbidden peace. Let me pray as I close. Father, we thank you so much that today we remember, just like every other day, that your son has risen from the dead. It means everything your son said to us is true. Um, if he had not risen, we, we would be fools. But he rose from the dead. And we stand before you today as people who are delighted that we have been forgiven, that we're brought into your family. We pray, Lord, you give us real boldness to proclaim your son, especially at this season. And we pray, Lord, that the, the words of eternal life will bring people. We pray that they will bring people from death to life, that they will really enjoy this Passover season. In Jesus' name, amen.